Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. So there is a conversation <clears throat> that happens about once a week in the Bateman household. Maybe it happens where you live too, um, but the conversation goes something like this. My wife, Anna, reminds me of something coming up on our calendar. So somebody's coming over for dinner, something we have to go do, something we've got to get done in the near future. She'll remind me about that, and I'll respond to her reminding me by saying, oh, I didn't know that. And then she'll say, yes, you did. I told you about it. And then I'll say, no, you didn't. And then if you're married or just familiar with human relationships, you know how the rest of that conversation goes. Um, She thinks she's right. I think I'm right. Uh, And and I think the problem really with it is that I'm right. (laughs) I'm totally just kidding. I'm usually only right like 99% of the time. But... (laughs) In, in the 1% of the time that she's right in those conversations, here's what has usually happened in our household. Anna did tell me about whatever it was that we were supposed to go do or whatever it was coming up on our calendar, but as she told me about it, I was in the middle of something, wrestling with the kids, watching something on TV, uh, maybe Vols baseball is what I was watching on TV, anybody? Pretty impressive last two games. Didn't know we were baseball school, but we are, so congrats to us on that. But I I was wrestling with the kids or watching TV or, uh, let's be honest, half the time I was probably scrolling through something on my phone is probably what was happening in those moments. And she said whatever it was, and I probably even acknowledged that she said it. I said, okay, or that sounds good, or all right, let's do that, sounds great. But I didn't really hear what she said, right? I heard her, but I didn't listen to what she said. I didn't really consider the words she was saying. I didn't consider the impact it would have on my life or my schedule or my calendar or what it would require of me. I I heard her, but I did not listen. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, I I think Jesus' disciples are in a very similar place to that in a lot of ways. They've heard Jesus, but they haven't listened to him yet at least not regularly. To catch you up just a little bit, in last Sunday's passage, Jesus has just confirmed to his disciples explicitly for the very first time that he is indeed the Messiah, that he is this long-awaited king that the Israelites expected to conquer their enemies and set them free from Roman occupation. But then, after he confirms that, he almost immediately blindsides them with this added detail about how part of him becoming king is that he is going to be captured, tortured, and killed by the authorities. And the disciples hear that they're present when he says it, and, and he's talking to them when he says it, but they haven't yet listened to Jesus. 
They haven't truly grappled with what that means for their lives or their priorities or their future role in God's kingdom at all. They've heard it, but they haven't truly listened yet. And in today's passage, what we're going to read is Jesus trying his absolute best to get them to listen to what he's saying. So let's see how it goes. If you haven't already, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17 in your Bibles. Matthew 17, that's where we'll be for the majority of our time. Um, Just as a heads up before we get into it, uh, today's teaching is going to feel the slightest bit seminary-esque, just a lot of detail and background and cultural context we have to unpack. Uh, That's not my favorite vibe for a teaching on Sundays, but the nature of this passage just kind of requires it. So I'm just trusting that you guys can roll with me. Uh, If you're here this morning and you're new to church or new to the Bible and that's intimidating to you and you get confused halfway through, uh, no worries. In theory, relevance is coming at the end. So catch up on email or whatever you need to do and we'll circle back at the end and we'll all kind of be on the same page. I just feel like I should give you that warning, not really a way around it with today's passage. But Matthew 17, we're going to start reading in verse 1. We'll just sort of walk through this line by line. It says, after six days, that is since last week's passage that we read about, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, so this is a subset of the 12 disciples, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So it seems like Jesus is up to something very specific here at the beginning of this passage. He singles out three specific disciples out of the larger group of 12, and he takes them privately up on a mountain with him without the others around. He wants these three disciples to see or experience or notice something there on the mountain while they're up there. We don't find out why he takes these three specific men, but we do know it's intentional on his part. So there they are, the four of them up on a mountain, and then this happens, verse 2. There he, meaning Jesus, was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. So it says that Jesus was transfigured. That word transfigured means to transform in figure or appearance. Somehow Jesus' very appearance changed while they were up on the mountain. And we don't really get any details on how that happened except that his face, quote, shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. Or you could translate that white as lightning. Really, really bright clothing in that moment. So all of this is likely a nod to a passage in Exodus 34, where Moses also goes up on a mountain to speak with God. And when he returns, he is shining, kind of like Jesus is in this story. And that reference seems to be confirmed in how Moses actually shows up there on the mountain with Jesus in Matthew 17, as well as another Old Testament figure named Elijah. So These are two men who, just to state the obvious, had been very dead until this point in the story. So I want to make sure we all realize that. This is not like a normal thing that happens. In fact, the point of this story is that it's quite extraordinary that it happened. But these two men are there talking with Jesus. Now, if you can get past that for a moment, you're left wondering why these two men specifically Like out of all the important Old Testament figures who could have miraculously appeared back from the dead on that day on the mountain, why is it Moses and Elijah? 
And while we're not told explicitly why it's the two of them, there are some pretty good guesses out there from people who are much smarter than me and have studied this way more than I have. Uh, Some people have suggested that Moses and Elijah represent what Jesus often calls the law and the prophets, respectively, so the two major divisions of the Old Testament, what Jesus says that he came to fulfill. So maybe they represent the law and the prophets. That seems like a pretty solid guess to me. Others have observed that both Moses and Elijah themselves had significant encounters with God's presence up on a mountain. If you read through their stories, they both have experiences like that. So that also could be it. I think it could be either of those things. It could be both of those things. It could be something really cool that I haven't even thought of yet. Could be anything along those lines. Maybe Jesus will explain it to us one day in the future. But what is clear about this passage is that in one way or another, this is meant to confirm to the disciples watching it that Jesus is indeed who he says he is. As we've already mentioned, the disciples haven't really grappled yet with what Jesus' death meant for this whole Messiah and kingdom thing that he talked about. And chances are they were struggling with doubts about what that meant for Jesus' identity. There was almost assuredly some uncertainty happening in the disciples about all of this. But this situation up on the mountain is a way of Jesus demonstrating to these disciples essentially don't worry, you've got the right guy. You've got the right guy. I I am who I say I am. I'm going to do what I said I was going to do and what the scriptures said that I was going to do, even if it looks a little bit different than how you saw it going. It's meant to be this sort of pause and reflect sort of moment for the disciples to be strengthened and established and affirmed in their understanding of who Jesus is. But here's the thing. Peter doesn't get that memo, as usual, with Peter. Peter has a very different idea of why he and the other disciples are present for this whole scenario up on the mountain. Look with me at verse 4 in our passage. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I love that he explains who the three shelters refer to. And that just in case Jesus was not clear, was bad at math, Peter's there to explain it for him. So this is one more episode in the multi-season Netflix drama called Peter Sure Does Talk A Lot. And this is just kind of Peter's thing, right? If you've been following with us through this series and through specifically this section of the Gospel of Matthew, this is just kind of what he does. Like, have you guys ever heard the expression, I'm probably going to butcher this, but it's something like, uh, it's better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you're an idiot than open your mouth and remove all doubt. You heard that expression? (laughs) Peter has never heard that expression in his life. And it shows because he just talks nonstop. Like one of my favorite things, I was reading the two parallel passages to this one in Matthew and the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of Luke. And in both of those two other accounts of this story, those authors just say, yeah, Peter was just saying stuff because he was very overwhelmed and confused. We don't really know what was happening here. Um, like, have you ever been, I don't, I as an introvert can identify with this. Have you ever been in a social setting where you're just so awkward and you feel so uncomfortable that stuff just starts coming out of your mouth and you don't know what you're saying? You're just talking to fill the space. 
I think that's kind of what Peter's doing in this passage. He's like, well, this is overwhelming and I don't know what to do, so I guess I'm gonna make myself busy and build some shelters for these three people. Maybe we could do that. But more than just running his mouth, what, what Peter says here, I think, indicates that he doesn't really grasp what Jesus is trying to communicate through this whole event. He, he thinks the point is for them to stay up on the mountain and memorialize this whole experience when Jesus is actually trying to say something very specific to Peter and to the other disciples through what is happening in front of them. Something that he wants them to listen to and wrestle with. But instead of listening to what is being said, what's being communicated, Peter is intent on filling up the space with talking and with doing. Which is why Peter doesn't even get to finish his sentence before he is interrupted by God the Father himself. Verse 5, while he was still speaking... A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter is still talking, still offering to do things and speak for Jesus when God says, speaking from a cloud in the sky, This is my son. I need you to listen. Now, this part of the story, too, is loaded with allusions to other parts of Scripture. God's presence also resided in a cloud in the story of Moses that we mentioned a few minutes earlier. But this story also directly echoes an earlier story just in the Gospel of Matthew. So in Matthew chapter 3, if you guys were around like two years ago when we started Matthew, you remember Matthew chapter 3? There's a story about Jesus' baptism there, and right after Jesus comes up out of the water after getting baptized, God the Father speaks from heaven and says something very similar. He says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased, almost identical to what we just read in Matthew 17. But here in Matthew 17, the father tags on one additional sentence. Did anybody see what it is? Listen to him. Listen to him. God the Father wants them to listen to Jesus. So this sentence, at least from my perspective, my vantage point, seems like the focal point of this entire scene with Jesus and the disciples and Moses and Elijah. The point is that God wants the disciples to listen. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this instruction comes right in the middle of Peter talking. Michael Wilkins, one commentator on the book of Matthew that I read, he puts it like this. This is how he describes this moment. It's as though the Father is saying, Peter, if you really want to understand who Jesus is and what he has come to do, be quiet Stop trying to figure it out on your own and listen to what he reveals to you. Throughout the rest of the chapter and indeed through the rest of his ministry, Jesus will lead Peter and the others into a clearer comprehension and all that is required is that they stop talking long enough to listen to him. That's it. God wants his people to listen. And sometimes, if not most of the time, in order to listen... You have to stop talking. You have to stop doing. You have to stop taking pride in how much you understand already. Sometimes in order to listen, you have to sit still long enough to do so. 
In last week's passage, Peter was so set on speaking for Jesus that he failed to listen to Jesus. Jesus said that he was going to be crucified and killed, and Peter immediately spoke up and said what? Not if I have anything to say about it, you won't. I'll never let something like that happen to you, Jesus. Peter was too busy speaking for Jesus to be able to listen to him. Here in Matthew 17, Peter is so busy preparing to do things for Jesus that he fails to listen to Jesus. He's ready to build some tents, make himself useful, stay there a while with Jesus and Moses and Elijah, but he's so intent on doing things for Jesus that he neglects to truly listen to him, to take in what's happening right in front of him and consider the significance of it all. And really, the reason that he's ready to do things for Jesus is that Peter assumes that he already understands what is happening and why he's there. He's so confident in his existing understanding of Jesus that he neglects to listen to what Jesus is actually saying. But Jesus wants his disciples to listen. Let's keep that in mind as we finish up the passage because I think we see it throughout the rest of our story and then we're going to circle back to it at the end as well and draw some application from it. For now, keep reading with me in verse 6 of Matthew 17. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. Now, some of our English translations conceal this a little bit here, but that word heard, when the disciples heard this in verse 6, is the exact same word in the original language as the word listen in verse 5. So in other words, the disciples finally, after hearing an audible voice of God from heaven, finally listened to what is being said about Jesus. It takes a lot to help them see it, but they finally see it, at least at some level at this point in the story. Now they listen, and their response to listening is to fall to the ground terrified, which just as a side note is often the response that people have in the Bible when they encounter the audible voice of God or the presence of God. But verse 7, Jesus came and touched them, Get up, he said, don't be afraid. The point was not for them to be terrified. The point was for them to listen. And since they're listening, verse 8, when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So this is why earlier I was inclined to say that the point of the story was for the disciples to listen. Because as soon as they're listening, it seems like the whole thing appears to be over, right? That was the point, in other words, to get them to listen to Jesus, But on the way down the mountain towards the other disciples, a conversation ensues between Jesus and these three disciples that were there for all of it. Jesus starts the conversation, verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Now, this is a bit odd, right? Jesus once again allows his disciples to have a dramatic revelation of sorts into who he is and what it means that he's the Messiah. And then once again, he follows it with a strict instruction for them not to tell anybody else about it afterwards. Why shouldn't they tell anybody? Like, it seems like it would go a long way if they could come down the mountain to the other disciples and and say something like, hey guys, we saw Jesus glowing up on the mountain with a couple of key Old Testament figures. 
seems like Jesus might be legit, just felt like we should let you know. Like, it seems like that would be a really helpful conversation for them to have with the other disciples. So why does Jesus want them to keep quiet about it all? I think the answer is the same as it's been all along, same as it was last week and one other time in the Gospel of Matthew. If these disciples go on blabbering about this supernatural event that they saw, people are probably going to get the wrong idea about Jesus. They're going to overlook the stuff about Jesus suffering and dying, which is the stuff he's trying to communicate to his disciples, and people are going to instead focus all on Jesus' radiance and authority and glory and power. But listen, what Jesus has been trying to say to his disciples this whole time is that the type of king he is cannot be separated from his suffering and death. The type of king Jesus is cannot be separated from his suffering. It can't be separated from the cross. It goes hand in hand. So Jesus needs the disciples to keep to keep quiet about the glory of Jesus until they have seen the suffering of Jesus. And then resurrection. That helps ensure that they're not continuing to misunderstand what Jesus' kingdom is all about. To put it another way, before they start talking about what they saw, Jesus wants them to wrestle with what they saw. I think Jesus knows that if they immediately start talking about all of this with other people, the noise resulting from it may distract them from truly wrestling with what it all meant. They've just witnessed something incredible. Jesus wants them to sit with it for a moment. He wants them once again to listen, which they evidently are okay with, but they do have one question, very technical seeming question to us, verse 10. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? So while this probably sounds like a very random question to us in the 21st century, this refers to a prophecy in the Old Testament book of Malachi that said before the kingdom of God came, the prophet Elijah would come and basically prepare people for its arrival. But that means the disciples are a little bit confused by what just happened. The prophecy said that Elijah would come first and then the Messiah, but based on what just happened up on the mountain with the transfiguration, it seemed out of order because Jesus had already come. He had been walking around with the disciples for a year or two at least now, and only just now did Elijah show up. So it felt out of order to them, and they want to understand why that is. Jesus clarifies, verse 11, Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything that they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. So real quickly, there were two different ways of interpreting that Old Testament prophecy from the book of Malachi. Some people believed it meant that Elijah would literally physically come back from the dead. Other people believed that it meant someone like Elijah would show up, someone who was similar to Elijah in his vocation and his spirit. Jesus seems to be confirming here that it's actually the latter. It's actually that somebody would show up who was like Elijah and that John the Baptist was that person. But notice, 
even in how Jesus answers here, this is not just Jesus responding to an arbitrary theological question. Because the way he answers the question reveals that he's still attempting to shepherd his disciples to see something about him. He still tries to get them to see the connection between him being the Messiah and him suffering and dying. He says, in the same way that John the Baptist suffered and died, I too am going to suffer and die. This whole thing is connected. And Jesus wants them once again to listen. So this whole story, beginning to end, I would argue, is about listening to Jesus. It's about a father who wants to communicate something to the disciples about who Jesus is and what that means for them. It's about a Messiah who wants to communicate something about who he is and what is going to happen in the near future. And it's about a Messiah who will continue to speak about this over and over and over again until his disciples decide to listen to it. This is a story about a God who speaks and wants his people to listen. And at the same time, it's a story about some disciples who at times can be a little hard of hearing. Disciples who sometimes get a little too eager to do things for Jesus or speak for Jesus or take pride in their understanding of Jesus, all while neglecting to listen to Jesus. It's a story about disciples that sometimes have a hard time listening, but even then, it's about a God who, despite all of that, never stops speaking to them. And really, that is the story of the entire Bible as well. The story of the Bible is about a God who always speaks and wants his people to listen. The whole Bible starts with God speaking and quickly transitions to a man and a woman in the garden who do not listen to what he has to say. And the not listening continues and their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren for generations and generations such that God continues to send the law and kings and judges and prophets throughout the years all in an effort to get his people to listen. And there are some bright spots in the story to be sure, but by and large, God's people do not get the message. They keep not listening, but God continues speaking. The entire story of the Old Testament is one of God speaking, God's people neglecting to listen, and then God continuing to speak to them, sometimes about their refusal to listen. And then finally, one day, God sends his son, Jesus. I want you to look with me on the screen at how the author of Hebrews describes this moment in the story. It says this, in the past, God, what's that next word? Spoke to our ancestors, to the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has what? Spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Even God sending Jesus was a form of him speaking to his people. The Gospel of John uses the word logos to describe Jesus. Logos means word, as in spoken word, a divine utterance from God himself to his people. 
So Jesus arrives on the scene in the New Testament and he speaks over and over and over again about the kingdom that he comes to deliver, about the types of people who belong to that kingdom, about the type of king that he is and about how his kingdom will take shape on earth. And he tries over and over and over again to get his people to listen. The story of the Bible is a story about a God who always speaks and who always wants his people to listen. So in light of all of that, and in light of Matthew 17, I just got one simple question for us this morning. No points, no subpoints, no words that rhyme or all start with the same letter or any of that. Just one massively important, life-altering sort of question for followers of Jesus in the room. Are you listening? Are you listening? God is always speaking. That's never the issue. The question is, are you listening? And I'll just reiterate here from the passage. When I say, are you listening? I don't mean, are you speaking for God? Speaking on God's behalf is great. It's just not a good replacement for listening. I also don't mean, are you doing things for God? Doing things for God is great. I hope you're doing things for God in his kingdom. But it's not the same thing as listening. Uh, I also don't mean, do you currently understand lots of things about God? I, I genuinely hope that you do. But that's not the same thing as listening to him. I don't even necessarily mean, are you talking to God a lot in prayer? Talking to God about things is great too. But I think we all know that sometimes you can talk to God about all kinds of things all of the time and still neglect to listen to what he's saying. What I mean is, are you listening to what God is saying to you right now? Not a month ago, not six months ago, not 10 years ago when you first started following Jesus today. Right now, are you listening to Jesus that's what we're talking about. That is what God wants you to do. That's what Matthew 17, that's what the whole Bible is all about. God is not first a crusade to be led, as if what God cares most about is that we do enough things for him and his kingdom. God is not first a theological concept for you to master in your mind. God is not first a cosmic genie who wants us to just read out our list of requests to him. God is first and foremost a person. Someone to be known and someone who wants to know us. And if we miss that, if we neglect that about who God is, not a whole lot else matters. And a whole lot of that comes down to the simple question, are you listening to him? And I cannot think of a more needed reminder in our day and age. Our world is set up in such a way to all but guarantee that we drown out the voice of God. 
From the moment we wake up, our devices are screaming at us to listen to them. Notifications, updates about what we missed while we were sleeping that we desperately need to get caught up on. The constantly updated, continually refreshable stream of information and voices and influences and events that can crowd out every whisper of God that would otherwise get through. But behind all of that, if we have ears to hear it, is a God who desires to speak. Maybe he wants to speak to you about who he is, much like he was doing with the disciples in this story. About the type of king that he is and the type of kingdom that he has come to bring. Maybe he wants to speak to you about his affections for you. Maybe you've gotten some things mixed up lately about how God feels about you and how God relates to you, and he wants to help clear some of that up. Maybe he wants to speak to you about something he wants you to do, something that he wants you to do for others or for his kingdom or for your own soul. Maybe it's about something he wants you to stop doing, a pattern of sinful behavior that is harmful to you and or others in your life. There are enough people in this room that I don't even pretend to know what he has to say to each and every one of us. But I do know one thing for sure, and that's that he wants each of us to listen. There are few things in the world more important than learning to listen to God. And in my experience, we tend to let a whole lot of different things get in the way of that on a regular basis. I've grown more and more aware of this in myself recently. So my job, what I do up here most Sundays, is, is a really precarious thing, if you think about it. Uh, it's an incredible responsibility to have. I absolutely love what I do and never want to do anything else. But standing up here and teaching the scriptures week after week can also become a really dangerous thing. Because most weeks... I kind of need to have something to say, right? I joke with our staff all of the time that teaching most Sundays is, is kind of like if you had a class presentation due every week and you had to give the presentation whether it was ready or not. That's kind of what this is. There's a rolling deadline every single Sunday. And because of that, it is really easy for me personally to get so concerned with standing up here and having something to say to you guys that I can neglect to listen well to God myself. I can get so focused on speaking that I forget to listen or neglect to listen as much as I should. And that over time as a pastor, I've seen it happen in so many pastors, that over time can be a recipe for burnout or something much worse. And that's a mistake that I want to avoid making if I can help it at all. So our pastoral staff has talked about this, and after Easter this year, they are giving me an extended amount of time off from doing this every single Sunday morning, which I am incredibly grateful for, because my goal during that time off is to, is to do exactly what we're talking about this morning, to sit and to listen to listen to what God has to say to me, to not search the scriptures and trying to have something clever to say to you guys that you're going to appreciate, but to actually listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to me. Because there are few things in the world more important than learning to listen to God. So here's what I thought we'd do for the rest of our time this morning.
rather than me spending any more time trying to convince you guys of the importance of listening, I thought we'd just spend some of our time actually doing that, actually listening to the voice of God. So I'm gonna ask the musicians to come back up. If you've got your Bibles or your journals or devices out, maybe just put those away, cut out distractions as best you can, place them under your seat or whatever the case may be. We're gonna bring the lights down in the room. Tears is gonna play some just to cut out distractions in here. And we're just gonna take some time to listen to God, to listen to what he might have to say to us. And I'll give you just a few simple questions. I know some of you may be brand new to doing this, and that's totally fine, no shame at all there. I'm just gonna give us a few simple questions to ask, and then after each one of them, we're just gonna sit, and we're just gonna listen to what God might have to say. So we can go ahead and bring the lights down. Um, just got three questions for you to ask God. Here's the first one. God, what do you want to say? Ask God the Father, what do you want to say? Could be any number of things. I just want you to ask him. No agenda, no categories. Just ask him what he wants to say and listen. We'll start there.
So you can t- continue praying through that one if you want to. But I wanted to move on to the second one. This one, I, I think in some ways, is every bit as important as the first. But I want you to ask God, where have I not been listening? What area of my life, what part of my day-to-day rhythm, what arena of influence, God, where have I not been listening? Where have I intentionally or unintentionally been drowning you out? I want you to ask him, where have I not been listening? God, would you speak? I want you to ask the Father, what is preventing me from listening? What's preventing me from listening? This could be a pattern of sin in your life. It could be certain devices, apps on your phone that you fill up all of your spare time with. It could be a pace of life that you're running at, but all that blocks out what God has to say. It could be a relationship, a misplaced priority, a preoccupation with selfish pursuits, 
or desires. All sorts of things can get in the way of listening. So I want you to just ask the Father if there's anything specific that you need to do something about. What is preventing me from listening? God, would you speak to us? we acknowledge uh, this morning that you are a speaking God. That you're a person to be known. You're a person that wants to know us. You're so much more than that too. God, every word that you extend to us about who you are or about our life or about who we are. God, every single word contains life for our souls. And God, if we'll just slow down enough to listen, not just hear, not just acknowledge, but truly listen, God, there is eternal life to be found, to be experienced, to be enjoyed. And so God, I just hate for any of us to leave this morning 
without at least considering if maybe we need to listen a little closer. God, if maybe there's something that you want to say that we've been doing our best to avoid hearing you say. So God, I, I pray that beginning this morning, not just this morning, but beginning this morning that we would create spaces, that we would hew out enough time and enough space, that we would slow down enough to hear whatever it is that you want to say whatever it is that you want to offer us or communicate to us or lead us into or correct us on, God, all of that contains life if we're willing to listen. And so God, would you open our ears? Would you soften our hearts? Would you give us the diligence it takes to be a listening person? God, would you help us to hang on every word that proceeds from your mouth, from your heart, from your posture towards us, towards the world? Would you help us grow really good at listening? God, I've got a sense that there are, um, there are people here that, um, for whatever reason, um, y- your voice for them has become so entangled with um, the imperfections of people judgmental tones of people who claim to represent you. God, I feel like there are people in this room that uh, it's hard to even consider listening to you because that's what they feel like they're going to hear. I just remember those words from Jesus back in Matthew 11 where you say, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. I just feel like you want to say to some people in this room that whatever they're hearing that they think is you because that's what they've heard from other people who represent you and whatever they're hearing, I feel like you want to say to them, that's not me. That's not me. And God, if if they're willing to try to shut out some of those unhelpful voices, God, I I feel like you may have something really important to say to them. It's not filled with condescension or with self-righteousness, but it's filled with grace and truth and compassion and help. And so God, would you just speak? Would you speak? Would you help us to listen? Father, thank you that you're faithful to do that. It's in your name we pray.